She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files adjacent podcast. Cold Check the Night Stalker. Episode 4. The Vampire. In this episode, after hearing about a trail of murders that seems to be heading towards Los Angeles, Kolchak manages to snake an interview with a new age guru who also happens to be in Los Angeles. Once there, the murders continue and Kolchak realizes he's dealing with some leftover business from his time in Las Vegas. Business that he thought ended when he was run out of town after driving a stake through a vampire's heart. <gasps> this episode was written by Bill Stratton and David Chase. And it was directed by Don Weiss. Its original air date was Friday, October 4th, 1974 at 10 p.m. And so we have our standard cold check credit opening sequence Mm -hmm. with the music and him in the office. And then we cut to a 747 jet that's soaring through the sky. And inside is cold check. And he's just finished his in-flight meal. Except he didn't seem to touch his crudité. But okay, maybe he's not into it. And he's messing with his recorder. And he begins to record a story that will become the voiceover for the following scene. The state of Nevada was tearing up an old road south of Las Vegas in preparation for a new freeway. It would benefit thousands of motorists, but before that, it would turn into a nightmare for an unfortunate few. May 2nd, 8.15 p.m. Airline stewardess Elena Munoz missed the detour sign and blew a tire on some jagged rock from the construction. Trying to set up her jack, she cuts her finger. So she stops what she's doing to wrap it up because she's got a bunch of blood on her finger. Then she continued to try to change the tire. But blood is the life, and no one craves life more than the dead. So she must have heard the digging, but it was the sight of hands rising from within the earth a few feet from her vehicle that caused her to scream and flee. When she returned to the site with the sheriffs, they only found what looked like construction excavation and they placed her name on the cranks list. We don't see any of that. All we actually see is a pair of arms wriggling out of the ground. (laughs) And then we cut to our standard Chicago opening shot with a new view of Chicago as well. And we get the opening credits and blah, 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 blah. So we're inside the INS offices during the hottest and muggiest spring in memory. And Kolchak is unsuccessfully trying to fix the wiring on his blown out electric fan. And he's using like an accordion style paper folded fan to try and stay cool. And a reporter buddy of his from Las Vegas, Jim the Swede, Brightowski, is now an anchor man. And he goes by the names James Bright. And he's stopped into the office and he's actually there to get some money that Kolchak owes him. So Kolchak pays him and Jim starts telling him about some murders that the police are trying to cover up out in las vegas but they're not just in vegas they're moving west towards la so there's like this trail of them and in the background updike is like looking for the assignment roster and he runs over and then he realizes kolchek has made his fan out of the roster meanwhile jim's still talking and he mentions that the bodies from these murders are missing an inordinate amount of blood and this grabs kolchek's attention because obviously he's dealt with bodies missing a lot of blood before and Updike, who overheard that Jim is now an anchor man, and you know, Updike looks kind of like he could be an anchor man. He kind of starts trying to ask about the anchor man gig, like, does it pay well, all that stuff? Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of butting in, and Kolchak is like, go away, go away. We don't want to deal with you right now. And he's trying to get more info about these bodies that are missing all this blood. And then they hear Vincenzo in the hall. And Jim is immediately like, hey, you said Vincenzo was taking a long lunch. What the heck? And he starts like backing out of the door and like leaves. (laughs) And as he's leaving, he tells Kolchak, like, you should get a haircut, a new suit and move to TV news because that's the only way to fly. (laughs) And then Vincenzo sees Jim leave and he asks Kolchak if that was Swede Brytrowski. And Kolchak says, oh, no, it's just some paranoid informant of mine. He doesn't like people. He's not very social. And Vincenzo's like, oh, it sure looked like him. And that guy owes me $500. So I guess that's why he's avoiding Vincenzo. Mm-hmm. Coming in to get his money from Kolchak, but then making sure he runs when Vincenzo shows up, he owes Vincenzo money. Yeah, yeah. So, well, you know, yeah. if you get it from Kolchak and have to pay it to Vincenzo right away, what was the point? It's kind of a missed. Probably, uh, yeah. And I'm track. hoping it wasn't $500. Kolchak just walking around with 500 bucks in his wallet. But anyway, <laughs> especially in 1974. So, yeah. 
So Tony walks away and is like, oh, I thought that was totally thought that was sweet. So he's walking away. And then Ron is like, oh, something just came over the wire. New York wants someone from the Chicago office to go to Los Angeles to interview Amir Tamara, who's a 15-year-old transcendentalist guru who's about to get married. And at the word Los Angeles, Kolchak is like, what? And so he spins around, but then he starts to like, just play it cool, right? And so Ron is like, I can go. And Ron seems to know a lot about this guru. Like he's talking about things and transcendental meditation and stuff like that. And then Kolchak just starts like banging away on his typewriter. Like he's really working on a story. And so of course that gets Vincenzo's attention because if Kolchak is really working on a story, it's probably going to be trouble. So he's like, hey, I think you should go. So this is going to be like another like Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck situation, like duck season, rabbit season, except this time Kolchik is Bugs Bunny. And he basically gets Vincenzo to say that it's duck season. So he like makes up. He's like, oh, Ron, have you read such and such a book? And Ron's like, oh, yes, I've read that one. But then he names some other books, too, that are probably made up. And Ron's like, oh, no, I haven't heard of those. And so basically Kolchik lies his way into getting the gig. So Tony ends up sending Kolchik to Los Angeles despite his protest, because like Kolchak does not want to go on this gig. Tony cannot make him, but Tony makes him. And so Kolchak laughs and Ron is all mad and walks away. Yeah, it's so. very classic reverse psychology. <laughs> yep. It's like, oh, I don't want to go. Don't send me to LA. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. So then it's May 6th, 11.15 p.m. And we're at Los Angeles's famous Sunset Strip. And as Kolchak flies out of Chicago on a red eye, Catherine Rollins, who's 25, is stopped on the street and gets into the car of someone she hasn't seen in three years. And Kolchak's voiceover tells us that a lot had changed in three years. A whole lot. Mm-mm. So Rollins and the man from the car enter an apartment and she removes her coat and he grabs her and they start kissing. And then things get a little violent. So there's a struggle and they knock over a curio cabinet and they fall onto the couch and then onto the floor and kind of flail around. And it's kind of hard to tell who's attacking whom, although I do think she, we do see her kind of bite his neck. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure we see that in the scene. Anyway, so then at 12.30 a.m., Linda Cortner returns home to her shared apartment with a splitting headache and groceries. And as she walks in, she's attacked and thrown to the floor by Catherine Rollins, who holds her down and drinks her blood from her throat because Catherine Rollins is a vampire. Yes. <gasps> yeah, definitely what? a vampire. She's got the, hey, and we see her fangs. Yeah, I don't think we actually see her bite the dude, but definitely I here. I thought we she's... did, but maybe I was just kind of, maybe it was one of those things where I was expecting it. And so I just yeah. mentally like put it there in yeah. my head. We are going to see it later. Somewhere. It's also been a couple of days since I've seen it. So maybe I'm remembering uh, things out of order. Possibly. Could happen. Spoiler, she does bite a few other dudes. Yeah, so, so yeah. I could just be remembering the later scenes. Yeah. So then the sun is rising and Kolchek's flight is landing. And he arrives at the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel in a rented maroon 1973 Chevy Impala Sport Coupe, which I researched, by the way, because it's kind of a sweet looking car and I wanted to know what it was. So found that out. A lot of the Impalas are kind of ugly. This one is pretty sweet looking. Anyway, so he can't get the doorman's attention. So he grabs his own bags and just leaves his car parked at the curb. And he enters room 212 with a bellman who shows him how to use the combination TV radio, which apparently was a thing. And then he's kind of just standing there waiting for his tip. And then once Kolchak gives him the tip, then he gets Kolchak the key. So you don't get your key until you pay it, bud. And then Kolchak really isn't a fan of like the Muzak, like easy listening, the Bellman chose. And so he changed it to some more like Kolchak, moody jazz station. Kind of cool. And he's looking through a bunch of messages from the front desk. And then he's getting ready to call Vincenzo. But while he's being put through, because he's got to like call and say like, yes, can you please patch me through to a number blah, 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 blah in Chicago? Because it's 1974. And while he's waiting, there's a news report that gets his attention. A man was found in a car in Barstow dead from exposure, extremely dehydrated with his vital fluids all but gone. So Kolchak is like, mm, hangs up his phone, grabs his stuff, and heads out the door. Yep. That, that sounds, sounds like, like a me. body with no blood. <laughs> so Kolchak is driving down a desert road, and he's at what appears to be a police impound, and we see a Barstow towing truck, and it's bringing in a vehicle as Kolchak's speaking to the deputy sheriff, who is Deputy Sample. 
and he has a police dog with him. And the coroner thinks that Mr. Mitchell, who's the dead man, died between like 5, 5.30 a.m. And the deputy figures he lost consciences way before that and was just like in the car and died of exposure. Apparently, he stole the car in Vegas and was planning to repaint it, which is why he had taped the windows. So the windows are all taped up. And Kolchak goes to the car, opens the door, and like is like, what well, was he planning to paint it inside? Because the windows are all taped up from the inside. And they're all like taped over with like this black paper that might, for instance, block out the sunlight if that were something that you were worried about. Mm. <laughs> Just for example. And then he asks Mitchell if he happened to have any puncture marks on his neck. Like fang marks? And the conversation immediately goes south. This guy's not going to play the game with Kolchak. And so Kolchak basically leaves after a veiled threat about what happened to the last nosy fellow who came through Barstow. So the sheriff and deputy sheriff are not amused. Yeah. And then we have a commercial. I do think it's weird because like deputy sample has like this Southern gentleman accent. He's kind of like, well, yes, yes. Well, not that way. Cause I can't do accents. I'm trash, but he's, he's he sounds very kind of got that Southern thing going on. And so I'm not sure if maybe that's just cause like Southern equates Hicks on television or not. I don't know. So yeah, I don't either. But you just kind of have what I'm I'm thinking it's a southern accent. Maybe it's not. It's not a Barstow accent, I can tell you that much. So yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't remember too much. I was trying to think if it was just like a rural rural. Yeah, I think it's just put like that rural. Part. Yeah, and so maybe southern kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah. So then the maroon impala comes screeching around a really big driveway and then stops and like it's all woo, so it's got pretty good shock absorbers. And Kolchek jumps out. And he starts trying to flag down this large black limousine that's going the other direction. And it doesn't stop. And the voiceover tells us that if he doesn't get the story on Amir Tamara and Transcendental Meditation, Vincenzo was going to fire him. So that was obviously like probably Amir Tamara leaving in a limousine and Kolchak missed him. He's probably late for the interview. So he runs into what we assume is the guru's mansion. But there's a real estate agent inside who is showing the place to another couple. And the agent stops mid-sentence as she's talking to the couple when Kolchak enters. And she actually thinks he's the termite inspector mm-hmm. and that he was supposed to be there in the morning. But he says he's not. But so then she kind of thinks he's another buyer. So she says, oh, OK, well, I'll be right with you. But then the couple like isn't interested in the place anyway because the mansion apparently doesn't have a basement and the man needs a basement for all his wines. And he starts listing off all his different kinds of wines as they're going out the door. And whatever, dude. And so the agent's like, oh, we'll try the Basil Rathbone house right down the street. And then she like closes like these giant wooden doors, double doors, and then starts going into her like real estate spiel. She's all, it's a dandy buy at 525.5. It has eight bedrooms and four and a half baths. All of the fireplaces are made of Etruscan marble and the floors are quarried tile. So yeah. pretty ritzy. So that's like just under $3 million in 2021 dollars, but that's also just inflation and not like housing inflation. So I, that's probably way more than $3 million now. It's probably like a Los Angeles mansion that I'm assuming is probably at least 4,000 square feet, probably closer to six with that many bedrooms probably going to be closer to 10 million i was going to say probably like in the 10 or 15 million at this yeah point. 10 yeah. 15 at yeah. least and that's and i don't know much about los angeles real estate but i'm just los angeles real estate is worse than seattle so yeah oof. yeah because that's because it's like it's like two million nine hundred and sixty six thousand dollars in today's money and so yeah. but again that's just pure inflation and inflation does not account for housing prices no which have insane. gone up it's so crazy right now i'm not going to get into it but oof yeah yeah if you're a seller right now in the seattle area which i mean this is april to may 2021 so this might have changed but like you're in a good position if you're trying to buy a house and you don't have tons of cash on hand good luck in case you guys didn't know in real life tori handles real estate I do. I, I'm not a real estate. I work. I'm back office support for a real estate company. Yeah. So I have a real estate license. I don't actually like practice real estate myself. I just support agents who do, but I do know a lot about it because I'm constantly helping sellers get houses on the market. So, yeah. and it came in handy this episode because she corrected some of my notes later in the episode yeah, as well. Yeah. Well, because so, I knew, yeah. I was surprised she used the right term. I was like, oh, that's what so she I said. Was so I was just typing what she said, but uh, I didn't realize it was actually a name. I thought it was just like standard yeah. like, adjectives and nouns, but yeah. yeah, we'll get to that. That's actually a thing. Yeah. So Coltech explains that he's here to see Amerta Mera. But he thinks he must have missed him. <laughs> good, good guess. Good guess. Maybe because she's um, still in the house. So 
Yeah, I mean, possibly. I mean, you could do showings while people are still there if, you know, they're not home or whatever. But yeah. And then Amrita Mara's assistant, Chandra, approaches and is like, yes, he's gone. And he's like, well, if you wish to speak with my most perfect master, then maybe you should have been here by noon, which is when your appointment was. And Kolchak's like, well, I was delayed. Unavoidably delayed. But Chandra, whom Nick says is giving off a very heavy Jeff Goldblum vibe, which I can... I can see that. Yeah, especially because the glasses, and I think just the way he's talking. So yeah, yeah, yeah. is like well, just as your delay was unavoidable, so shall be your disappointment. <laughs> so he has just left to meet his faithful followers in Dallas, and so Kolchak's like, well, when can I meet him again? And Chandra's like, in time, no doubt, in time. But obviously, that that doesn't help Kolchak. Mm-hmm. And then he says goodbye to the real estate agent Faye and tells her to give everyone his love. And then he bows to Kolchak and leaves. And Kolchak realizes he's in trouble because now he's totally missed the interview. And so he's kind of screwed. So then Kolchak introduces himself to Faye, the real estate agent. And he just says, you know, Kolchak, INS. And she mishears him. And she's like, when are you bureaucrats going to stop hounding this young man? And Kolchak realizes that she thinks he said IRS. And so it turns out Faye actually studied journalism and was a reporter in Greensboro, North Carolina. But after a bad marriage, she moved to Los Angeles and became a real estate agent. So she introduces herself as Faye Kruger. And she actually knows quite a bit about transcendental meditation and Amrita Mera because she's the one who sold Mera the house. And she actually spent a lot of time talking with him while he lived there. So she's, you know, pretty close to him, has heard a lot of his stories, might know a lot about him and so mm. Kolchak's like hey how would you like to go back into journalism yeah that sounds like a plan mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean it's 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 something right it's yeah. better than nothing. so they're in carl's car and they're driving and he's explaining how like he'll proofread her story for her and then when she signs his byline to it he'll submit it and that'll get the ball rolling on her journalism comeback. And she kind of like, on your byline? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's why we have to do it because it's your first paper. But once they see how fantastic your story is, like, you'll be guaranteed like a syndicated column. No problem. I'll make sure I put in a good word for you and all this kind of stuff. So as they're talking, there's a report on the radio that tells of a double murder and that the police are actually giving a press briefing at the scene shortly. So Kolchak stops at his hotel, boom, gives Faye his key, and he tells her, it's room 212, start without me, and then drives off. And of course, saying that, doorman is kind of <laughs> like, what's going on with this couple? Okay. <laughs> so yeah, so then he drives off to the police briefing. So at the apartment slash crime scene, it's standing room only. Reporters all over the place, and they're kind of like surrounding the plainclothes policeman who's given the briefing. And so Kolchak comes in late and interrupts everything, and then he kind of like has to work his way through the room to get to a spot where he can stand. He apologizes, and after finding a spot to stand, the policeman starts talking again, but then Kolchak's like, oh, Captain, Captain, with a question, and then he's corrected that it's Lieutenant Lieutenant Jack Mateo is giving the briefing. So Lieutenant Mateo had been informing the press that they have in custody two members of a satanic cult, the Dark Star cult, who they believe killed the victims for their blood. So Kolchak questions this, which starts all the other reporters start questioning aspects of the story. So Kolchak kind of does that. And then he kind of gets one another reporter to ask another question for him about the murders in Erie and Barstow. And then Kolchak mentions the rumors of vampire bite marks. And then Mateo's like, what paper are you with? Because then like the room is just like going crazy now. Like, you know, Mateo had control and now the reporters are like, hey, hey, yeah, what about this? How does that make sense? This doesn't make, what are you doing? And so Kolchak makes up something about like working for like the Manchester News or something, probably some paper that doesn't exist. And then you're like, boom, he leaves. And all the other reporters just like swore Mateo with questions. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mateo looked really familiar to me. So I looked him up. He's played by William Daniels. And the reason he looked familiar is because he also plays Mr. Feeney on Boy Meets World. And I guess later on Girl Meets World as well. He's also the voice of Kit from Knight mm-hmm. Rider. So. Yeah. So his voice is familiar too. But yeah, he looks a lot younger than he does when he plays Mr. Feeney, which would make sense because this is like 20 years earlier. So yeah. anyway. All your 1990s references. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah. <laughs> I was born in the 80s, so a lot of my media comes from the late 80s, you know, and the 90s. That's what I grew up on. I think it's funny because, like, when we have, we have, like, whenever there's co stars, you'd be like, and he's famous for this. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but he's really famous for this. And so it's yeah. Like, oh, it's- well, it's, 
I think I've seen like two old. episodes of Knight Rider, <laughs> but I've seen all of Boy Meets World, although yeah. I have not seen Girl Meets World. Well, I mean, but you've you've heard Kit. I mean, it's kind of, you know. Yeah, I've heard the like. voice. Yeah. yeah. So Kolchak arrives back at the hotel room and Faye's typing on the typewriter and he asks if anyone called from Chicago. And she's like, well, I wouldn't know because you told me not to answer the phone. So Carl calls a buddy named Frank in Las Vegas and he's trying to get this list of missing persons and it has 87 people on it. So Carl's like, okay, go ahead and wire it to me. And then he gets off the phone and it immediately starts ringing. And he's like, he kind of backs away from it. And he asks Faye if it's been doing that a lot. And she's like, yep, which must make it really hard to write. I would have a really hard time trying to write an article with the phone constantly ringing. So Kolchak grabs a towel and his electric razor. And he basically puts a towel over the receiver, turns the razor on and uses it to pretend the connection's really bad. And the caller is Vincenzo, who repeatedly asks about the interview with the guru and how it went. And Kolchak keeps talking about the hotel restaurant and his food and pretending like he's mishearing the questions and responding wrong. And then he basically is like, oh, I've got to go. So he hangs up. And so Faye's been watching this exchange. And so she kind of smiles nervously at him. And then they have this exchange about this grammatical question about whether it's oft times or oftentimes. But then there's a police band and I guess it comes over the radio and the police will be halting their crime scene investigation for an hour and will be off the premises. So Kolchak grabs his gear and starts to head out. And Faye's like, well, when are you going to proofread my article? And he's like, you can proofread it. And then, you know, they make a joke about, you know, don't use words like dostal. And she's like, no one does that. And he basically is like, okay, just, you know, get it done and put it on the wire. And then he like leaves. Yeah, because she's been using like words like oft. And then he asked her, like, like, do you have any more, like, offs or nary's or dos thou's? And she's like, no, no one uses dos thou anymore. Like, there is a nary. And so he's like, well, you know, can you cut out the offs and the nary's and then just put it on the wire? Because, yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's getting a little concerned about what yeah. well, he's I mean, having her write. He's so. having her do his homework. So he should just, yeah. you know, if he's not even going to proofread it and go through it and pretend like it's his. That's well, what he's he got. Gets. He's got a bigger story he's working on. Okay, <laughs> he's just trying to. Anyway, so Kolchak is driving back to the crime scene, and he's talking about how like things are done so different in Hollywood, like specifically the fact that like the police arrested two suspects, and then they're doing their crime scene investigation at the building. And so, without being a little too spoilery, as he's driving, he sees this giant white cross up on a hilltop in the distance. So, kind of like a mm -hmm. landmark kind of thing. So might come up later anyway so he enters the apartment because the door is unlocked so he goes in and like in the living room there's a closet and the closet's like half empty and there's a bunch of empty hangers so like a bunch of clothes seem to be missing so then he goes into the bedroom and immediately walks over to a dresser drawers and starts going through the drawers but he didn't see that behind him going through another closet which is also like half empty and got a bunch of empty hangers is lieutenant mateo and Lieutenant Mateo hears Kolchak opening drawers and is like, hey, what are you doing here? And Kolchak's like, whoop. So then Mateo asks who he is. And so Kolchak gives his name and tells him he's with INS from Chicago. And then Mateo tells him to leave. Like they have enough homegrown reporters and they don't need his help. And Kolchak's well, like, I think you do need my help because those two warlocks that you've got locked up are innocent. And that Linda Cortner and her boyfriend were killed by a vampire, a real vampire. And so Kolchak goes on, talks about how the car in Barstow with his windows taped up to keep out the sunlight. And Mateo tells Kolchak that he needs to leave town immediately. But Kolchak keeps going on with the story about how they have superhuman strength and he need to have a crosses. And the only way to stop him is to drive a stake through. And he's like pantomiming it like he's going to drive a stake through Mateo's heart. So then he stops and he goes out the door before Mateo like completely loses it. <laughs> so, Yeah. Yeah. And in the hall, Kolchak sees a man painting. So he's like, are you the manager? And he's like, the manager, the painter, the plumber, the gardener. So basically, he does all the stuff at this apartment building. So Kolchak asks if he knew Linda. And the man doesn't really answer. And so Kolchak is like, have you been talking to reporters at all? And he's like, nope. Police gave me strict instructions not to talk to the reporters. And Kolchak's like, yeah, good, good. Don't do that. Uh, glad to see you're complying. By the way, I'm Carl Kolchak, INS. And he like flashes his ID. And so this guy thinks he's some kind of agent now. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so Kolchak asked about the missing clothes and we learned that they were very expensive and that Linda kept late hours and she was working for Grace's catering service. And assumptions are kind of made about her career because apparently her sister went to Las Vegas to be a showgirl. But then her sister disappeared and Linda was really upset about it. And her sister's name was Catherine Rollins. <gasps> she killed her own sister, man. That's messed up. I know. That's <laughs> shoot. That's cold. Yeah. Yeah. She that's killed her like own sister. Yep. Angela's level of evil vampire. Like, geez. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So then it's May 8th, 8 10 p.m. And Ichabod Grace is about to make an investment. Obviously, this is Kolchak's narration, right? So we see this old dude like chatting up Catherine Rollins in like a lounge area. And then as he's like talking to her, this other guy who is Ichabod Grace walks up and like start talking to the guy. And the guy's like, no, no, no. Hey, I'm, I'm with her. Leave me. And he's like, and, and kind of talk to him basically like insists that the other guy gets up and leaves. So the guy does leave. And so Grace is basically like a pimp. And he's giving his pitch to Rollins and he's adding her to his stall of foxes. And then she agrees and they walk off together. But Kolchak tells us that Grace was unaware that his most recent acquisition was more closely related to a bat. <laughs> yeah. A flying fox. Anyway. Yeah. And then we have commercial. Yeah. So. Yeah. So Ichabod Grace. Hmm. I wonder if he owns a catering company. Hmm. Could be. Could be. <laughs> so Kolchak enters the hotel room and he's got the missing persons list that Frank sent him. And Catherine Rollins is number 56 on the list. And she'd been arrested a few times for prostitution. And then she was reported missing in late 1970 at the age of 25. And he begins to look through a phone book and the phone rings. So he grabs his electric razor and like wraps his tie around the receiver and answers the phone. And Vincenzo immediately shuts him down and tells him to turn off the razor. Like he knows what Kolchak's doing. And he's, he's like, why are you playing these games? Why haven't you been returning my calls? And Kolchak says, I haven't been able to return your calls because I haven't been in my room. I've been out working, obviously. And Vincenzo's like, okay, well, let me ask you a few questions about the interview. And Kolchak's like, well, can I call you back? And he's like, no. And... <laughs> Faye actually enters the room and she has a copy of her story. So Vincenzo starts asking questions about it because it basically reads like a real estate feature. Like it points out the architecture and all the features of the home and doesn't really copper talk pipes about. And, yeah. Yeah. Does like it, all this like, stuff. That, does this mansion really have copper pipes? And he's like, uh, yes, it does. Yeah. It's all the stuff that you would put like in a real estate ad if you were selling yeah. a house, not if you were trying to talk about a guru. <laughs> <laughs> so Vincenzo wants a total rewrite. And it better be amazing or else. And then he tells Kolchak he can go ahead and finish up a shave and hangs up. Oh, yeah. So he's Tony's not, not. Yeah. Yeah. He's not really pulling the wool over anyone's eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then Faye, because she overheard it, basically, right? She was yeah. standing right there. She, you could definitely hear Vincenzo over the phone. And so she's like, oh, he hated it. He wants to rewrite. And Kolchak's like, no, no, he didn't hate it. He just wants more like a polish not a rewrite just a polish he just wants it cleaned up a little bit and then so she's like well then why was he yelling he's like oh that's just what editors do it's fine it's fine got to get used to that if you're going to be in journalism so then Faye sits down she starts to tighten up the story and Kolchek finds a listing for grace's catering service in the phone book not under catering though it's under restaurants but anyway he finds it so he calls and we cut to about grace he's sitting at the bar with a drink and this little light flashes, and then the phone rings. So it's like a special line, I guess, at the restaurant, at the bar. So that you know it's just for the catering service. And he answers, he's all afternoon, Grace's catering service. And back in Kolchek's room, Carl now realizes what he's about to do. So he, like, grabs the phone and kind of walks away from Faye and, like, turns his back to her. Because he's basically going to ask to have someone have something delivered. So he asks if he can talk to Catherine Rollins and Grace establishes the way things work. Like she's not here. And if you want to talk to her, you can talk to me. Like I'm the one who handles stuff. So he's like, okay, well then can I have her deliver something warm? And so Faye's looking on as Kolchak's doing this and he's given his name, gives his address. And he kind of wants her to come at like four o'clock in the morning because uh-huh. obviously like closer to sunrise, but then Grace is like, it's 8 p.m. or nothing. That's all we got. So he's like, okay, fine. So he gives the room number and he gives his name as Tony. So 
anyway. So then he hangs up. So he's got a delivery coming at 8 p.m. tonight. But Faye is like, well, yeah, do what you got to do, I guess. So she's like all business, like, okay, let's let's get working on this rewrite. And he's like, no, 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 no. We'll do it tomorrow, tomorrow. It'll be fine tomorrow. And he's like literally like pushing her out the door, like picking all her stuff up for her and like just basically shoving her out the door. But before he closes the door, he's like, oh, wait, by the way, can I borrow your lipstick? And she's kind of like, um, do we need to have a talk about anything? And he's like, no, 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 it's everything's fine. Everything's fine. I just, I just need to borrow your lipstick, please. So she gives him the lipstick and then she leaves. And then he closes the door and he takes like the little room service note off the back and he puts a big cross on the door with her lipstick, which basically was going to ruin the lipstick. But anyway, just mm. cross. And then he grabs his bag out from under the bed and he pulls out a wooden mallet and a big old thick wooden stake nice and sharp and he kind of like tap, tap, taps the steak with his mallet and he's got this look of hmm yeah so got plans for tonight his steak is huge like it's that pretty is huge like a yeah table leg it's like a it's table pretty legs yeah it's probably i was gonna say it was like a two by two but it's actually almost like a three by three it's pretty yeah. thick yeah it's giant i mean buffy's steaks are like a quarter of that size yeah. it's bigger than the steaks he used in the night stalker in the movie because remember he had like yeah. remember he had like a carpenter friend of his and it basically looked like a chair leg but it was it was a little, it wasn't as thick yeah so, this one's pretty good yeah got a nice point on it though <laughs> it does it has a sharp point it's just very thick i'm yeah. just thinking if you're trying to shove it through someone's chest that girth is not gonna be your friend well the bigger the hole the a... better the death for a vampire well you gotta get it to the heart though if you don't get it to the heart well but i mean there was like a good six to eight inches of taper on that though yeah it it starts out small just saying if you're making your steaks at home kids make sure you have enough room yeah but you want to make it big enough in case you miss the heart not everyone knows anatomy right you might miss it so you got to make sure it's big enough to get that that's why you train and you get like a a dummy and you set it up and you practice. Well, practice dummies don't practice, have practice. hearts, but anyway. Well, no, you so. mark the heart on the dummy so you know where to attack. Okay. You know? Well, how do you know where a heart is, though, unless you've seen a body? That's what I'm saying. Well, you get an anatomy book. Oh, okay. I mean, it's not that hard to train to be a vampire hunter. I mean, not that I would know. I'm just okay. saying. Okay. I certainly don't have any firsthand experience. Anyway, so crossbows. I think crossbows are your friend. Yes, crossbows can, are from awesome. a distance. Yeah, I mean you got to be able to aim, but still, yeah. Yeah. And they true. and you got to be able to reload it too. They don't have like clips and crossbows. Although you probably could make one that does. I bet. Anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wooden bullets. I don't know. Yeah, like that's just overcomplicating things. Yeah, I think they would just combust and splinter, but. So from behind, we see a woman knocking on the door of room 212. And from inside, Kolchak's like, who is it? And she's like, Grace is catering. And he's like, oh, door's open. Come on in. So she opens the door and the room is like pitch black. And she enters and she's like, Tony, because that's the name he gave. Mm-hmm. And she approaches the bed and Kolchak slams the door and flips on the light. And he's standing in front of the cross on the door. And he's got like a large silver cross. And he's got the stake in the mallet. And the woman like doesn't even flinch. She's just kind of like wondering what kind of freak he is. And this is not Catherine Rollins, no. which Kolchak realizes. And the woman's like, why does everyone want a witch like her? Like clearly like everyone wants Catherine Rollins and no one wants her. So she's a little like not pleased and yeah. Kolchak apologizes and he learns that Grace actually sent Catherine on another gig, like kind of at the last minute. But this woman's like, but you know, I'm here. And then he's like, well, you can go. And she's like, not without my payment. And mm-hmm. like he owes like $200 for this, this visit. Yeah. So then Kolchak goes to see Grace at the bar and he's talking to Grace and Grace was like, I don't have to answer your questions. And Kolchak's like, well, you need to because you're hiding murder stuff, right? So he finally gets me asked if Linda Cortner worked for him. Grace is like, none of your business. And he's like, Catherine Rollins is Linda's sister and she killed her. And Grace is like, you're crazy. So then Kolchak's like, so what has Catherine been wearing lately? Hmm? Aren't those Linda's clothes? And so Grace starts thinking about it. And he's like, you know, Hmm, now that you think about it, maybe there is kind of a family resemblance there. Hmm. After some more prodding and like some bit threats about like the police and whatever, Kolchak learns that Grace sent her to see Clayton Stacker Schumacher, 
Well, first he just says send her to Stackers, and Fletcher's like Stacker. And apparently Stacker is a super famous player for the Los Angeles Rams, probably like a quarterback. Anyway, so he sent Catherine to Stacker's place instead of sending her to Kolchik. So, yeah. So we're in a very fancy room in a very fancy house, and there's a fire pit, and there's like a really nice rug. And Catherine Rollins is there wearing very nice clothes. And she's like on top of Stacker and they're making out. On the fancy rug. Yeah, on the fancy rug. And we then see the Gorilla Gang, which is a group of Stacker's like fellow players. And they're going to sneak in to surprise Stacker and his date. But at this point, Catherine has made her move. And Stacker's struggling against her as she like drinks his blood. And the other players like enter the living room and they're kind of like laughing holding beers but then as they enter Catherine looks up and she does like (laughs) you call it a vampire noise it's like a weird (laughs) weird like hiss growl sounds kind of like a angry possum it's 70 vampires noise she's all (sighs) yeah and she's got her fangs bared and they're all like oh shoot we should not have walked in I'm wondering if they hired her because like they know and so like that's their joke like they hired her and maybe. then they're gonna sneak in and be like ha ha kind of thing yeah and you're then, with the sex worker yeah, and then maybe and then maybe be gross and try to get some freebies i don't know but yeah so then kolchek arrives just in time to see dudes like being thrown through class partitions flying everywhere and so like he does he starts trying to take some photos but then like he trips and he falls against the fire pit because like Catherine's running and so he's like ah vampire so he like tries to get out of the way and he falls drops all the stuff and then Catherine turns around and tries to grab him but he's able like to grab the fireplace tools and he makes like a cross out of and plus they're iron too so that probably helps a little bit because we can just mix that kind of stuff up and she's like and then she runs away just as the police burst in from some other doors on the opposite side of the room and so Kolchak spins and he's holding his cross on them just in case they're vampires too. But then he's like, oh crap, cops. And like, I'm the only one here because everyone else is dead. Fantastic. So then we get another commercial. Yeah. So, yep. Kolchak's going to be in trouble again. Mm-hmm. So then we come back and police are like photograph. The police are photographing the outlines of the bodies because the bodies are gone, but there's like white tape. So I'm not sure why they need to photograph the outlines, but okay. And Lieutenant Mateo was actually using like fire tongs and trying to get Kolchek's camera and recorder from out of the ashes in the fire pit. Because apparently when Kolchek tripped, he dropped all the stuff into the fireplace. So the hazards of having a cool fire pit in the middle of your living room, apparently. So and he's trying to tell Mateo, like, careful, careful. These photos would have shown. And Mateo's like a woman, like disbelieving. It's like, yes, I know a woman. And Kolchek tells him, ask your man. They like chased her for three blocks. And Mateo's like, his men saw a person with long hair. It could have been a member of the Dark Star cult. They all have long hair because they're in a cult, right? And Colt's like, well, what about all this destruction? Could a single cult member toss around an entire football lineup? And Mateo's like, have you ever heard of karate or kung fu? And I love this part, so I had to put it in the notes. But Kolchak is like, it wasn't kung fu or chow mein. It was a female vampire with superhuman strength. And so then Mateo just starts yelling at Kolchak. He's like, he doesn't want to hear <laughs> that word again so then Kolchak tells him the whole story about Catherine Rollins and then he doesn't use the vampire word like barely he almost says it he's telling her that like you know she went missing and he's like so what if she went missing lots of people go missing does that mean Amelia Earhart's gonna come back as a vampire and Kolchak's like ah you said the word anyway so Mateo's like done with Kolchak and is like you gotta go and Kolchak's like look just like use your resources to go find her you need to stop her and the phone rings and an offer is like, collect call from Chicago. And Mateo's like, I'm going to use my resources on you. And so Carl's face drops because he knows who is on the phone from Chicago. And Mateo confirms this. It is one Anthony Vincenzo. And he's apparently returning a call made by the police because he's actually in bed. So Mateo explains the situation that Kolchek was found by the police at the scene of a multiple homicide. So Vincenzo's like, let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. So Matteo hands over the phone. And then he's like, I do not want to hear that word. Right. We'll see. (laughs) So Kolchak like grabs the phone and like he puts on his everything is fine smile, which is funny because Vincenzo can't see him. But he's like, hello. 
And Vincenzo immediately starts yelling. And so Kolchak tries to explain and he almost says the V word and there's more yelling. And Tony's like, all I want is a story on a Mera, which you had better get or you're out of a job. Like we sent you to LA to get this one interview. Why is this happening? And so basically anything else Kolchak does is on his own and he has no backing from the INS. So he has no reason to be at the scene. Like they're not going to support him in this. And Kolchak understands and like he hangs up because you know he hangs up before vincenzo's finished which you know is not going to help his case yeah and mateo tells kolchek that he needs to be on a plane out of la by 6 a.m the next day and kolchek says he doesn't know if he can do that but then he receives a police escort back to his hotel so yeah, by his tie so yeah yes. they're gonna try and get him out of there yep 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 so it's morning and Carl's in his room packing and Faye comes in and she's ready to work on the story, right? Cause it's tomorrow. We're going to work on the story tomorrow, but then she kind of notices that he's um, leaving. Uh-huh. So they have a little discussion. He's like, well, I'll miss you. And she's like, so what about the story? And he's like, well, write it. You can do it. I believe in you write the story and send it out. It'll be great. And she's like, no, I just need to go back to real estate. No journalism for me. And so Carl like tries to start pep talking her like, hey, you can do this. Cheer up. (laughs) But then he's like, wait, real estate? Mm -hmm. And he's like, hey, do companies track rentals as well as sales around here? And she's like, of course, it would just take some time. But back at my office, I could check in multiple listings. And Carl's like, okay, let's go. So he grabs her and grabs all the stuff and they go out the door. They're heading to her office. Right. Yeah, and multiple listings is a thing that it used to be paper and it used to be like a book. I think it was probably weekly in most places that like it publishes all the listings and rentals from like every brokerage. So like Remax, Century 21, like basically whatever company, because, you know, otherwise you only have your own listings and you don't really know what else is on the market. And so now it's all digital and there are like MLSs, it's called multiple listing services in every region and they're all online. And that's how homes get on like Redfin and Zillow is they get read from the MLS. Yeah. And I just thought she meant like we could check in multiple listings. So but it's, no, multiple I, listings, is, it's a real thing. It's all yeah. digital now way faster, but she probably has a bunch of multiple listing books at her office. So yeah. that would be a good place to start. And if you can't find it, you can always call the agents on the listings be like hey have you heard of a yeah, which is apparently what they do yes but yeah they make a lot of phone calls apparently so yeah so they probably call a lot of real estate agents asking about like have you rented to this person or you know anyway so it's nighttime and kolchek is driving his rent to Nepala up a hill above the city And apparently he and Faye spent like 10 hours making calls and going through like listing booklets, which I can see it would take a while. The internet is great. So they got lucky because they found the right listing, but unfortunately they found it after it was already dark. But Kolchak can't wait until daylight because he was guaranteed an early morning flight courtesy of the LAPD. And if he goes back to Chicago, that's going to leave Catherine Rollins free to continue her life of endless nights. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So Carl takes a can of gasoline out of his trunk and he's got all his vampire killing gear with him. And he heads on out across the brush towards the decaying mansion that Catherine Rollins rented. And so along the way, he sets the gas can down by what looks like a big white pillar, like in the middle of the woods, brush, whatever we want to call it, up in the hills. And then he keeps going. And he falls at least once and he gets up to the house and then he enters the courtyard and makes a ton of noise, he's like knocks a planter over. And this black cat is like, and runs and he's like, oh. <laughs> so then he gets his composure and he walks around and he sees this big wooden crate that possibly could be a vampire resting spot. So he walks over to it and he lifts the lid, but it's empty. Which is good because it's outside. That would be a weird place to decide that you were going to sleep in if because it, it's outside. If someone yeah. like just casually walked over and opened it, you'd be screwed. So yeah, yeah. but you got to check, I guess. So, but it's empty. So he's like, Whew. so then he goes to the house, and the house has got like all this decorative wrought iron work that goes up the house basically. So he starts climbing it, and he's trying to get into the second story or maybe even onto the roof because the building is almost built like a castle or a fortress stuff. Like it maybe even has like an interior courtyard or something. I'm not really sure, but he's trying to get in. 
to the house. So he starts climbing up all this wrought iron stuff. Right. So once he's up there, he hears what sounds like maybe a cat or an angry possum (laughs) or possibly a vampire. Possibly. (laughs) And he uses his flashlight and he kind of like shines it around, but he doesn't see anything. And then he almost falls off the grating. So he gets his footing and he looks inside the windows with his flashlight and he still sees nothing. So he climbs down and then he walks around the building and he tries to pick a lock on an iron security door. And then he hears that sound again. And it definitely sounds more like a vampire than like a cat or a possum of some kind. Mm-hmm. Well, the possums are scary. So yeah, they that. are. They are. Yeah. I want to say they're evil, but they're not. But they're they're scary. They're yeah. scary. I got scared by one really bad when I was like 21. So, <laughs> yeah, I was working overnight at a factory and I went outside and there was a giant ass possum sitting on top of some pallets. And just scared the living shit out of me. Anyway, so. Oh, yikes. Yeah. yeah. Also, they're ugly. They're not attractive animals. <laughs> Ugh. Anyway. So he still doesn't really see anything. So he goes back to working on the lock and then he hears it again. And it's really loud this time. So he looks around with his flashlight again and eh, it's Catherine Rollins. And she has her fangs out and she lunges at him and she knocks him down. And then he's able to drive her back with the silver cross. So he gets up and runs and she follows and he stumbles several times and she eventually pounces on him and she's on top of him and he cries out and slams the cross down against her back. So like she's on top of him and he just like slams the cross on her back and it starts like smoking and she shrieks and she falls away. And so she lands on her back and then she's like writhing. I guess she's landed on the cross. So she's on the ground and she's like writhing in pain. Yeah. So Kolchak runs obviously as you're going to do and but she manages like to slip out of her coat and it's all like smoking and then she pursues him and so he gets to the gas can and apparently he also had like some torches so he lights two torches and she runs at him but he gets to the big white pillar and he hits it with a torch and it turns out the big pillar is actually the giant cross on the hill and it just goes up in flames and so Catherine is like "Ah!" Like a giant flaming cross, right? Vampire probably doesn't like that. So then Coltec hurls the other cross, like across the field, and it lights up this giant wall of flame. So he, I guess he did some preparing that we didn't see off camera and maybe use that gasoline to make a big circle around the cross so that she's trapped inside. So inside the flaming circle is a giant flaming cross, Catherine Rollins and Kolchak. And so she's hissing at the wall of fire and then she turns around and finally she succumbs to the fiery power of Christian symbolism. And she falls on the ground and she does that cool TV thing where she like kind of shakes and goes Ugh, and just like stop she's dead. And so well she's not dead though cuz she's a vampire. So Kolchak walks up, she's laying there and he's got a stake in his mallet and as he gets down on his knees we hear police sirens. Yep. So Kolchak's voiceover tells us that Mateo had a detective tailing him, but he had managed to lose him and they didn't find his car until right around the times that Catherine Rollins found him. But of course, at that point, all they really needed to do was follow the light because there's this giant burning cross. It's mm-hmm. pretty easy to, uh, to see. Yeah. <laughs> so we Burning see crosses t- only valid for vampire hunting, okay? folks only valid for i mean honestly hunting. it's probably not your best bet vampire hunting fire no but it probably doesn't hurt i mean it doesn't hurt but i'm just saying it's riskier to you and so that's that's something to be uh, aware well, of yeah you know the safety issue safety first when hunting vampires guys safety first so we see mateo and several officers approaching and kolchek has just finished driving the stake into Catherine rollins heart so obviously they see him like hand on the stake basically mm-hmm. and Mateo walks up to Kolchek and he's still holding the mallet and he kind of looks down at the body and then back at Kolchek in just like complete disbelief and Kolchek's just standing there and continuing his voiceover he tells us that the cross was a local landmark so he actually had to pay for a new one but he didn't mind even though unfortunately he couldn't find a way to put it on his expense account yeah and then i think we have a commercial here it would be like a commercial break kind of like cut but i'm not sure because pretty close to the end so i don't really know but then we see kolchek he's on a jet and he's heading back to chicago so obviously all they just said like oh hey you can't be you know if you're going to kill vampires you got to pay for the cross no problem right they just let him go it was all cool so he's talking to his recorder 
Oh, he says, of course they charged him with murder. Oh, okay. Yes. But then after 12 hours, they just let him go. For some reason, we don't know. They never told him why they let him go. But while he was in Mateo's office, he did manage to get a look at the coroner's report on Catherine Rollins. And it stated that the tissue structure was that of a female body that had been dead for over three years. And it was a medical conundrum for which there is no explanation. And then he turns off his recorder and he just is like, three years. He's just kind of thinking. And then it's over. And yep. we get the end credit sequence and done. Bye-bye. Yep. <laughs> That's it. That's it does it. feel like they could charge him with like desecration of a body or something. Like he's lucky he didn't get some other kind of charge. That's true. But then they have to prove where he got the body from. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was standing over it, so they don't have to prove he got it from somewhere. Well, I know, but then it's like they could ID the body and then like, well, where was this body? Where did the body come right. from? Like, there, is there a grave that it's missing from? Like, yeah. did he just have it in his car the whole time? Who no. knows? Yeah. I have to say the whole thing about like, her being dead for three years according to the coroner does have some interesting implications about vampires in the Kolchak world mm -hmm. just like the physiology of how they work like you would because, die and just go back to your real age kind of thing well no because you're you know like in most vampire stories you kind of like you're dead but you're like you're not decaying like actively or anything whereas if she shows that she's been dead for three years that suggests there's some cell decay or something happening where they can tell that well, I'm thinking like once they die, they just like crumble to whatever their real death would have been. That kind of like mystical. Oh, thing. That's what okay. I'm thinking. So like she would show like the decay of being dead because she technically did die three years ago. Right. Right. But her her mystical vampirism kept her alive. But then once the mystical vampirism is gone due to the crosses and the stakes like that power. And so she just reverts back to what would have been normal. So if you're like super old, you would have maybe been bones or maybe dust because you're super, super, super old and your bones just turn to dust. I don't know if bones do that, but anyway. So, yeah, that's what I was taking it as. But I could see what you're thinking, like the deep cellular structure. So like just externally, she would look young, but internally she's like three years of decay going on. So, I mean, I guess all you would need is whatever you use to digest blood. So, because do vampires breathe? Do their hearts beat? I, I mean, know. it depends on the lore, right? It depends on the vampire. Hmm. And some of them, yes. And some of them, no. And some of them, if they want to. Do they some poop of them out? Only when they... Blood poop? I don't know. No, I've never heard that. Okay. Because they mostly metabolize the blood and then. Oh, so there's no waste? Okay. Yeah. But that would, I would, I would like to not have to go to the bathroom. That would be cool. Yeah. So I mean, I'd be a vampire given the option. Don't come at me, vampire hunters. Don't at me. But I'm just yeah. saying. Why well, not? It just depends on because, like, think of it. Like we, like we mentioned, like she killed her sister. So, like, well, when you're yeah. a vampire, do you have control? And like, what level of control? Like, when she was, or like, did, would she have done that if she was a person? And just yeah. like, you know, she got walked in, like, committing a murder. Would she just like, boom? Okay, well, you saw me kill him, so I'm going to kill you. Too bad, sister. So I don't know. Again, it depends on the vampire world. Like some vampires don't, some vampires do. Or if you're in the bloodlust rage, do you lose control? So again, depends on the, the world. So I don't know. In in cold check world, I would say that you probably don't have a lot of control, and you're probably just because she's not making smart decisions, right? Or like, you just lose total empathy, maybe. Yeah, but even then, there's like a survival instinct that's not kicking in here because. Even Scorzenzi had some survival instinct. She's just like killing people that, you know, she can be traced to very easily. Like her sister, her work, people she's been hired to like go mm, yeah. be with. Like it's not a good strategy if you're thinking about it from like a survival standpoint. Mm. So it seems like she's just kind of acting on impulse. Okay. Yeah. Although you assume she chose line of work for easy access to victims right but i mean that's going to get you caught super yeah quick. because you are yeah because you're like using <laughs> your real name and everything yeah so well maybe just move from town to town you know yeah I mean, maybe, maybe eventually, she's just not good at being a vampire which I mean, maybe kolchek actually long. saved ichabod grace's life because eventually she would have to kill ichabod because he'd be like hey you're killing all my you know associates yeah so, all my customers yeah 
Yeah, it's not a great strategy. Yeah. Just saying, vampire is smarter. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So Catherine Nolan, who played Faye Krueger, one, she would have been a great recurring character for this series, I think. Like a sidekick, yes. partner for Coljack. Especially because like the whole like, you know, like, I mean, she's basically like the same age as him, which is in a way is kind of also why it's kind of nice. Because one, she is attractive, but she's also like older, like, you know, like, like, like Gail in the first movie, she was younger than Kolchak, but it wasn't too, but like in the Night Strangler, like with Louise, Louise was obviously like in her mid twenties at most. And then, yeah, so that was, was kind of very like, young. Yeah. So this was a little more closer in age. So then there was like, there was some good chemistry between them. And then also she's like, you know, I, again, she's like, an, she's his age, but she'd be like the junior reporter, you know, like with Kolchak and he's trying to, so I think that would have worked good. Plus, and then they have that dynamic of, we've talked about it before, like him having like the female character, like the side character to work with mm-hmm. kind of thing, which is. Yeah. It's like bounce kind of off good. of and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, she was the first female president of the Screen Actors Guild from 1975 to 1979. Nice. So, yeah. So. Good for her. Yeah. That may have conflicted with her being in the show. Who knows? But yeah. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good for her. And I mean, yeah, I would have loved to see her more. Like she does have a good, they have a good rapport dynamic yeah. back and forth. And it'd be fun to have Kolchak have someone he can just try and give his homework to. Yeah. <laughs> also Ginger. So I'm going to be on board with that. So. Yeah. yeah. All yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So what did you think of The Vampire? I thought it was good. It was a solid episode. Like, I liked the whole, like, I liked that, like, <laughs> this woman's been missing for three years. And, like, they're, like, building a freeway. And it, like, unleashes this vampire who's apparently been buried in the desert for three years. Mm-hmm. So that's got to be rough. Well, those arms, when like, when they were coming out, they were not, those arms were looking pretty rough. They yeah. were looking a little. They were looking a little desiccated. So yeah, she definitely. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why she killed her sister. Maybe she was in such terrible shape that she just needed blood quickly, like a lot of it to maybe. recover. I mean, she, she looked pretty. She looked pretty good sand. when the guy picked her up. That's so. true. So maybe she yeah. killed people in the. Well, in she the killed town. at least one dude in the desert. The guy in Barstow. Well, and, well, because there's there were deaths in Erie, and then in Barstow. And I think when he's talking to Swede, there's one in Erie and there's one somewhere else. And then there's the one in Barstow as well. So there were like a trail of murders along the way. But yeah. yeah. So she was probably building her strength back up. Although according to that other worker, like she wears a ton of pancake makeup. Yes. So, to cover up maybe her vampiric skin. Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to so. cover up the pallor. The Unless you're into the pallor. I mean, you could be into the pallor. Yeah, but there's a point where it stops looking like goth hot and starts looking like preternaturally dead. Mm. And that's when you get into trouble. She should have hooked up with the Dark Star cult. They probably could have been into that. They might have been, yeah. Because yeah. apparently they like blood for their satanic rituals, according to Mateo. Yeah. So, yeah. But if they're using blood for their rituals, they may not have been willing to give it to somebody else. Oh, that's true. Anyway, (laughs) yeah, so I thought it was solid. I thought it was well paced. It was good. It was a fun vampire story. I wish the vampire had had like, I guess she didn't, she didn't need it. She didn't need to have like dialogue or anything. She just did. That's the thing. So, like, Scorsese didn't have dialogue either, I don't think. In the no, probably not. He didn't have, I think, I think he just kind of like a couple times at like Kolchak and some of the victims so yeah and, like, neither of them did we assume they can talk because like she's chatting up well and remember in the movie he did talk to the used car dealer remember because he was trying yes. to get that car yeah so and we see her talking to like dudes so yeah we it. know she can we just yeah. don't I mean it was good yeah I would give it probably yeah I'd give it a seven seven okay yeah it's pretty good all right so you pretty solid in with uh so actually you've given a seven every episode so far except for the zombie except for zombie yep okay i will say like kolchek it's good that he knows how to kill a vampire he's mm-hmm. just kind of stopping so reckless with fire he's gonna burn down los angeles like that's dangerous well, but otherwise I mean, 
you know, he did what he had to burn babylon burn so <laughs> um yeah yeah i guess i mean you know just for self-preservation maybe avoid the fire although has he burned anything else no i just mean okay. like in this case that was a little okay. little reckless but it worked it worked so it's okay but i mean he was yeah. like standing in the ring of fire i'm just saying that could have gotten out of hand yeah well i think it wasn't that because like the police could come through it i think it's right. just like the vampire couldn't because maybe <laughs> vampires are super combustible i don't know maybe she's wearing polyester you wouldn't want to jump through that's that true. and vampires do tend to be very flammable i don't know that's yeah. a thing in a lot of vampire lore is that they tend to be very yeah. flammable for some reason so yeah yeah she was definitely wearing polyester though, i think because she's wearing that like 1970s like pantsuit action uh-huh yeah yeah so I think I was thinking about this and I'm not hmm I think I'm going to go with uh, I think I'm going to go with an 8. Nice. I was thinking about a 9 but that seemed maybe a little I don't know. I'm going to go I'm going to go with 8, yeah, cuz I gave of the episodes this is the highest rated episode and I think that is definitely valid. I gave the Strangler a nine and then I gave the Stalker a 10, but those are also the movies. Right. So have a little bit more ability to do some stuff. I think eight is probably good for this. But then if I'm thinking about this, just like, just like a TV series, it's like, well, should this be a nine as a, as an episode? I don't know, but I'm gonna go with eight. So okay. I do like the hints at the connection. Like they never explicitly say that this is connected to, the Las Vegas murders from the Night Stalker movie, but we basically get the gist that it is, right? Like, this is someone that he probably attacked and that they didn't know and was just buried, right? And then got resurrected. So, right. So, it all the other victims, is... remember, they like totally cremated them mm -hmm. after Kolchak left. So, just in case. So, yeah. So, this and she had been like buried and unable to get out until they started building the freeway. And then all of a sudden, yeah, so maybe it was like it was released. thinner, and then also there was like blood directly nearby. So I think that was probably an important part too that the the stewardess had cut herself when she was trying to change her tire. Mm. Get that nice vampires can probably smell blood. Yeah, oh, I'm sure they're like sharks. Yeah. And also it was nighttime, so like during the day when all the construction workers are there, you know, not a good time to get up and hunt some bodies. <laughs> So. No, not if you don't want to be a crispy critter. Yeah, so it was probably good from a vampire point of view. It was probably good that Elena Munoz showed up and cut her thumb because otherwise, like, they would have eventually probably dug her up during the daytime and she'd Ooh. be doomed. So, yeah, although she didn't, she didn't get very far, unfortunately. No, but she wasn't very good at vampiring either. I think. No, but she did that. kill like a whole. She killed like the whole Rams lineup. <laughs> she and did. Then, yeah. I just mean in terms of not getting caught. <laughs> she was fine at doing the vampire stuff. She just wasn't good at doing it elusively and like avoiding yeah. authorities or Kolchak and his stake. Yeah. Which... Well, you just, you can't avoid Kolchak and his stake. That's just, you can't. Yeah. He's determined. He's like the Terminator. He, He's he, a Van Helsing. You cannot, you cannot reason <laughs> with him. You cannot stop him. So you definitely can't reason with him. So. Well, no, you definitely cannot reason <laughs> with Carl Kolchak at all. So no. that is 100% true. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> all righty well i'm looking for actually I'm, I'm not looking forward to the next episode but oh um, no yeah i just i like, i have i haven't seen it like we talked about before like i don't think i do to that point i think i've seen this one i think i saw this one at some point or at least part of it there are parts that are really familiar to me okay it does turn out because i wouldn't have seen this when it was originally aired because it was 1974 like i was four years old i wouldn't have seen this but apparently when it went into syndication in the 80s like on like you know like like local stations that kind of stuff like they would show it like at the nighttime or like daytime stuff i think sometimes like that's where i originally saw the movies was that way but apparently the tv show also got like a little like a little reboot like in the 80s on just like syndicated television but when they did that they apparently showed this as the first episode. Huh. So it's very possible that I may have seen this because there's just parts of this that seem familiar. It also could just be that I've seen so many images from it 
just as like a Kolchak fan, even though I haven't seen the episodes, like I know the characters and that kind of stuff. I may have just seen so many images, especially with this having such a direct connection to the movie mm-hmm. that I may have just seen so much. That's why it looks familiar because I've just seen stills. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's but totally may, but possible. I, but I may have seen this one. But the next one, I have also, I, this one, the next one I think doesn't have a high reputation. So we'll just put oh, it that okay. way. Yeah. It's one of the yes. ones why I think I never watched the series because like what I heard about this episode and a couple other ones was like, oh, it's going to be not great television. So, but so yeah. far I've actually been really impressed with the episodes. We've the first four episodes. So. Yeah, I think they've been pretty good. I mean, it's solid TV. So yeah. Yeah. I am curious because the next one is the werewolf and I know you're mm-hmm. actually really big into werewolf lore. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll be curious to see what you think of it. I haven't it's, watched uh, it. So. Not to be spoiler, but it's werewolf on a cruise ship. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. That is such a weird. I love it. That is so weird. Okay. That's well, perfect. we'll see if we'll see if that carries through. I hope so because talk about oof. it next week. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production, design and editing is by Lazy and Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz and The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. Our premium feed is where you can find all of our X-Files adjacent bonus episodes covering television and films that are, you guessed it, X-Files adjacent. If you like these bonus episodes, tell a friend about our Patreon page. We'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we rewatch episode five of Kolchek the Night Stalker, the werewolf. And try to figure out if the the truth truth is still still out there. there. truth is still out there.